Welcome to Politics in the North, where a couple of recovering policy bonks get together to discuss politics. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. So today, again, I have the pleasure of having Alex, Atul, Victoria, and Eddie. Hi. Hello. Hello. And for this particular segment, we'll be talking about the privacy and security implications of a lot of the different COVID tracking techniques that we're seeing come about. So most recently, Apple and Android slash Google have agreed that they're going to start using Bluetooth technology to help with the tracking of COVID cases in, in the public. And from what I understand in terms of the way it works is that because it is within close proximity, you would be notified if you were, came into contact with someone who tested positive for COVID-19. And the implication would be is that you would take the necessary steps to self-isolate to ensure that it doesn't spread as effectively. I'm curious to get your impressions of this. Again, the technology for this type of tracking has always been there, but the invasiveness screams out from it. Chris, when you ask invasive, I believe like even Google knows exactly where I am right now and is able to track how far I've run. Apple is able to like find my phone or my headphones uh, no matter where we are. To me, I think it's already happening, right? We already are freely giving, we feel okay when you give information to private companies, but then if it's to like say governments or anything else, that's when you're like, oh, up in arms, like what's happening here? But they already have this information. So is it invasive or is it them just being transparent that, okay, this is what we're going to do? I think there's actually an important distinction to make when having this conversation because mm -hmm. there's a difference between what they're trying to do in terms of contact tracing, which is what Chris was mentioning that Apple and Google are kind of teaming up with the government to do. But then there's the other thing that's been already been happening for a while and pretty much every country is doing it, which is looking at if people are abiding by self-distancing and stay-at-home mm -hmm. orders. And we already saw this, uh, for example, in New York uh, a couple weeks ago, Governor Cuomo like basically chastised all of New York City because they could, they could tell from the cell phone data that people were actually going and congregating in part. Mm -hmm. So one, the, con the contact tracing is me turning on my Bluetooth, right? which to me does feel a bit more invasive than what they're doing in terms of using cell phone data, because you're mm. right, Eddie, that data is already being collected by companies. Mm. And it's, our, it's been used by like researchers for a long time to look at how people move around and where they're mm. going and what they're doing. But it's usually anonymized and aggregated. So I think the concern for me is less about the the Bluetooth situation, because that I would have to opt in to be able to be a part of that. The mm -hmm. other, I'm not opting in, or I guess I have when I bought a phone, but that's mm -hmm. data that is already being used by companies and now governments are using it. So that's the one I'm a little bit more concerned about mm -hmm. setting some parameters on and making sure like, okay, are they going to be using and collecting this in this way forever? Or is there like a time limit or what exactly is going on? But I think it's important to keep those two things kind of separate because mm -hmm. they are using two different sets of data and different technology. 
Yes, I think Victoria makes a really excellent point about the continued use of this data past COVID-19. And there really do need to be some, some strong legal constraints around that if the government is collecting it. I actually worry less about the government collecting and using that data than I would about private companies, because I feel, at least in, in most Western countries, uh, it is probably easier to constrain the government and the bureaucracy legally than it would be to constrain someone like Google or Apple or Facebook and what they do with this data after COVID-19 has passed. Mm -hmm. In terms of the apps that we have the, that are being talked about now, which would, for example, communicate to you if you come into contact with someone who then later tests positive for COVID, that, that doesn't worry me too, too much from a privacy perspective, because generally, as I understand it, at least, that, that, inf that data is staying mostly on your phone. That's metadata which is stored on your phone, and you're not going to know the identity of the person who tests positive and for which that is then communicated back to you. The government is going to know that that person has tested positive for COVID anyway, because the healthcare system is what's doing that and has to communicate those statistics to the government. So I think it could be quite useful if it's adopted. And I don't, I don't see too many privacy concerns. My issue with it is more on the uptake uh, and the actual usage, because you would need a significant portion of the population actually on that app on a regular basis for it to be able to limit the spread of the disease in any meaningful way, I think. And it also misses out a huge number of people, including many of the most vulnerable, mm -hmm. uh, who don't necessarily have access to smartphones. So I think for me, the issue with the app-based uh, solution to this isn't so much the privacy concern, it's more the overall effectiveness. I mean, if we go back to basics, Don, this is just to base our the, the whole conversation that we're having here. I think we're all in agreement that the collection of data has been effective. Regardless of which country you look at, the collection of data has had a beneficial and efficient result in tracking and ensuring that we're trying to contain the spread of the virus. And for those who've already you know, gotten sick, there is they are appropriately quarantined or isolated. So that is the premise under which we're having this conversation. I think the point of friction that emerges is because of the fact that it's so effective, you're now comparing the implementation of data policies. Uh, you're, you're looking at systems like, you know, what we could be implementing here in Canada or the United States or Taiwan, and then comparing them, I think, even with what China's done. And that is actually the whole reason this whole conversation has emerged because China has been extremely effective in how they've used their data, big data analytics um, policies and technologies and how they've been able to contain the virus. And especially because they were the first country to have incurred uh, or been affected by it, it's sort of created a lot of conversations around the world. And then there's obviously the comparison with, okay, how have different countries implemented these data policies? How do they differ amongst these countries? And what are the points of friction there? Yeah, I think Atulian made a, a great point on that in terms of at least depending on the country and depending on the context, there's such a range of context setting issues that would probably need to be outlined. But I think on a broad level, the way that data is being leveraged is raising intense conversations and scrutiny in terms of, say, the need for a creation of a, a Bretton Woods system for data among international actors. Because currently right now, international organizations are woefully inequipped 
in terms of defining specifically how this data should be used. Yeah, and that's hard too because every country and region has its own data privacy legislation or policy, right? Like I know you mentioned Taiwan. Taiwan has been extremely effective in using the, these sort of data collection techniques, but they have a really strong data privacy uh, policy and legislation. Like they and they were very clear when they started collecting the data with people telling them, "Hey, this is what we're collecting. This is how we're collecting." it, this is what we're going to do with it. So they were very transparent, whereas compared to China, for example, that's not necessarily the case, right? And then in the EU, you have the GDPR, which dictates what they're supposed to do with data, which is a pretty good policy. But in the US, there is no federal data privacy policy or legislation. I'm not sure about Canada, but... But that, that's just, that's really difficult, right? No one can really agree on it. And to build on what you said, Victoria, especially about Taiwan, I think there is a really good example because Taiwan uh, has done something that a lot of other Western or democratic countries haven't yet been able to do up to this point, which is really getting citizen engagement. They were, as you mentioned, they were super transparent about these are our strengths, these are our weaknesses, these are the technologies and sort of the policy levers that we have at our disposal. And they kind of put a reach out to civil society and said, okay, you know, if there's anyone out there, whether it's, uh, you know, entrepreneurs or app developers, and we could use your help to try and get, you know, bridge these deficiencies in our approach to Corona. And I think there's a lot to learn there, especially from our standpoint in Canada or the United States of how data policy shouldn't be created and implemented in a vacuum. You need a lot of buy-in from a lot of different stakeholders. And I think that point is, causes a lot of tension when it comes to formulation. I'm curious to get your thoughts on how governments and societies will put guardrails on the technology that are being applied today. What will prevent institutions from using a lot of the tools that have become available to them now to combat COVID for other policies and other reasons? Well, I think it's weird, though, because like I was mentioning, that at least in the U.S., and I know I keep going back to the States, but that's the one I know the most, but at least in the U.S., I know that the data they are using to look at social distancing and kind of figure out what people are doing was already being collected. Like, this is data that mobile companies, advertising companies were collecting for commercial purposes, right? It's just now being repurposed to be useful for the government to try to combat COVID-19. So it's weird because it's not like the government is creating this thing that didn't exist before. This already existed. Companies were already collecting the data. They're just repurposing the use of it. So I don't know like how you retroactively put guardrails on this thing that's been going on for at least a decade, if not more. You know what I mean? I think when it comes to like what Apple and Google are doing, this is the perfect time to put guardrails on that. Like they should set some sort of time limit on that app where, you know, a year or maybe a year from now, or when the WHO says the pandemic is over, the app just is disabled. Like there's no need for it at that point, right? And hopefully they won't try to turn it into something else. But I don't know if that's going to happen because governments are so distracted with the current public health emergency. And they've already had a terrible time putting into place any guardrails on these uh, social media companies that I'm not sure they have the capacity to do that right now. You bring up a really great point. I think 
with a lot of the issues that came came up with Cambridge Analytica and all these other matters, I think the guardrails, there was a missing gap of like, how do you regulate these types of privacy-related issues? And the best time to do it is like either during or after immediately afterwards. And that either requires action from the government to say, okay, this is what we're going to do. Uh, that would require transparency. But I think a missing also, it has to be also like uptake from the voting public to say, like, this is really important. We have to ensure that there is these kind of boundaries. It has to be almost like a political issue or election mm-hmm. issue in order to get it into the spotlight. Otherwise, if it's not addressed immediately afterwards, as you're saying in a previous podcast, people tend to become complacent. People mm-hmm. then tend to forget about it as well. And then we have an issue, privacy issue down the line. And everyone's asking, why didn't we do anything about it? It's just like, how quickly did we react to it? Yeah, and Eddie, something you said is something I think about all the time, and that it's kind of like, do people actually care? (laughs) You know, like when Cambridge Analytica happened, sure, Mm. a lot of people were really pissed, right? Mm. Really pissed. But how many people actually deactivated their Facebook and WhatsApp and Instagram accounts? And I'm someone who sincerely cares about data privacy issues, and I didn't even do that because we're so into the system now that it's the only way I can connect with a lot of my friends, right? And I think part of that issue also comes down to a lack of understanding about how these systems actually work. Like, a lot of people don't understand how, you know, when you turn your location on on your phone to use Google Maps, that it's actually talking to a satellite that's up in space. Like people don't really understand that. And I think that comes down to a lack of education that people just don't have when it comes to how this all actually works. Mm -hmm. So I think in order for us to get people to really care and to make this a political issue, people need to understand like sort of what how transparent Taiwan was. Like we need to tell people this is what's being collected. This is how it's collected. Every time your cell phone pings a cell tower, that's how they can tell like where you are in that moment or whatever. We need to explain that better to people. And that's something that we just, at least in the context that I understand the most, which is sort of Canadian in the US, that's something we haven't done. So it doesn't seem like the political will is there. And I don't know if it's going to exist after this either. In terms of a question to you, Victoria, and the larger group as well, and even I, I guess I'll get your, your buy-in, Chris, on this is, you talked about making sure citizens are aware. Do you think that even if there is a high level of data education or, you know, around policies or what people are giving up, do you think that people will have the autonomy or the agency to disconnect and not have that adversely impact their lives? No. I think taking that approach is putting too much pressure on the individual to make those decisions. If The moment that you start making individuals responsible to that degree of complexity, it, mm-hmm. it's too much of an expectation for your everyday citizen. I shouldn't need to go through the whole lot of terms of conditions of every 50 of the apps that I have on my phone to be safe and satisfied with the data and privacy concerns. I think there needs to be a much more forceful push, at least on the government's part, to level the playing field. Because again, it's just unrealistic to expect each and every individual to go through that whole lot of paperwork to fully understand what exactly are they giving out. So should we then like equip a lot of our, say, privacy oversight organizations, right? Right, Like the chief privacy officers, should we equip them with more teeth, more say, uh, so that they are able to scrutinize different levels of not only public, how public information is used, but also how private information is used so that when they go out and release like say their report quarterly or in an annual basis, 
people are able to say, oh, this is what's happening and X company can be fined. Is this the kind of approach we should be using if we don't want to, like, say, move it more to an individual focus? Is that kind of something that would resonate? Eddie used the R word, regulation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I think in order to, like you were saying, Chris, to get sort of the institutions to deal with this, you still need political will. And most politicians think very short term in terms of, okay, what do I need to care about in order to get elected in two years or four years from now? And I don't know if you'll be able to get them to care enough to actually work hard enough, because this is all complicated, right? Like this takes a lot of technical knowledge, but also legal knowledge and mm -hmm. knowledge on human rights and whatever else it may be. So it's difficult. And if it's not a big enough issue within the population, I don't see them taking it on. Because even after Cambridge Analytica, and we had all of those hearings at the Senate and in the U.S. House of Representatives, what really came out of that? You know, it was just a grilling of Zuckerberg and just showed how much these politicians really did not know what they were talking about. So I don't know. I'm very pessimistic when it comes to anything actually being done without people caring on an individual level and saying, no, I will not use Facebook anymore because of what they've done. Well, and, and building on Victoria's point too, I think to an extent there had been at least some political will um, before COVID-19 came up to uh, start imposing more serious regulations on data privacy pr uh, practices and uh, against Facebook and the other tech giants. That at least for now, looks like it's dried up to an extent just because of how much people are relying or how much more people are relying on, on big tech during the crisis and during self-isolation. So whether we spring back to that once COVID has died down is, I think, a pretty open question. Beyond the political arena, I would look to the courts, though. Certainly in the U.S. in recent years, there have been some interesting uh, Supreme Court cases related to the way in which cell phone data, for example, is handled by law enforcement or by other government agencies. And those could be as relevant going forward or more relevant even than outright regulation and, uh, and legislation. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the legal arena may be a really interesting one to watch when it comes to, to issues around privacy. And, you, and you've seen that like happening with uh, AI use as well within governments, like to make decisions based on algorithms about doling out social benefits and things like that. Yeah, that'll, that's an interesting point. I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah, because I think one of the one of the really big data privacy things in the last few years relates more to criminal law, but I think has implications in other areas of privacy was um, United States versus Carpenter. I forget exactly when that came out. I think it was 2018. But essentially, the court ruled that law enforcement couldn't use people's cell phone data mm -hmm. um, as evidence without obtaining a warrant. Mm -hmm. So that I think is a far more significant ruling on data privacy than anything we've gotten out of the political system since then. But another point that I've kind of been missing is that health data specifically is more protected by privacy regulation and laws than any other data for a lot of different reasons. But people also feel very differently about sharing their personal health data than they do about sharing their location data, for example. So mm -hmm. I, I wonder if, if you guys can comment on like, do you think that aspect of it will encourage people and governments and institutions 
to try to put in some guardrails faster and more efficient ones because it, we're specifically talking about people's health and their health data. Yeah, I think there, like you said, Victoria, there's an ordering principle in terms of the degree of sensitivity for data. I versus your health is applicable to you yourself as an individual versus your location data, which could be indistinguishable from anyone else's. So it's going to raise some interesting conversations that require additional scrutiny. But again, I think it comes down to the factors of trade-offs and convenience. Because at the end of the day, convenience seems to win all over anything else. If you can offer people a, a seemingly safe and secure way, but it comes at the cost of convenience, then convenience still trumps it, regardless of how it's structured. Well, and I think too, up until now, people have been, or a lot of people anyway, have been all too happy to share their um, their health data. You look at all the apps out there, which track <laughs> how fast you run, what your pulse is when you mm-hmm. run, what your diet is, how many calories you're taking, and all the rest of it. Yeah, I think Chris's point on convenience is uh, spot on. Not only that, I think it, it's also about perception, right? It's another theme that keeps showing up as well. When we think about health, okay, you know, a lot of a lot of it is personal for sure, but it's not. You don't think about it in the same th- way as you think about some of the activities that you saw happening with the NSA after 9/11, or uh, even you know the problems that you're seeing with Facebook and Cambridge Analytica, or sur- just generally surveillance as well. And it's when you look at that. The perception, there's a huge perception gap between health data and location data. I personally have no problem, uh, theoretically, I guess, uh, giving out data about, you know, how much I run or how much what I'm eating. But when it comes to location, all of a sudden, I, I, I feel a little more paranoid. And it's not logical, but it's there. And I think it's, a, it's a, something you would see in broader society as well. I think also some people may feel a level of risk in terms of being discriminated against because of their health, right? Like. Yeah. If you're, you know, maybe not anymore, but, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, if you were HIV positive, Mm -hmm. that's not something you would necessarily at that point in time want people to know about because you would be discriminated against. Mm -hmm. And in the U.S., if you, there's this whole issue with insurance companies and pre-existing conditions, and if they find out you have this disease in your your Mm -hmm. family's history, then maybe you won't get the insurance that you want. And that's supposed to not happen, right? But it still happens if we're being Mm -hmm. real. I think there is a little bit, people should, maybe we're not because I personally do not have any, and thank God, I don't have any health issues that I'm worried people finding out about. But if I'm someone that does, like I might feel a little bit more skeptical about sharing my health data in the same way that I would maybe not feel the same way about my location data. And I think this will then come down to, there has to be a transparency within government to make action on it and then also uh, a push maybe a push from the citizenry to be able to at least have those kinds of protections because as you had mentioned like the government's always thinking about the next election issue and unless this is on the election agenda I think sometimes it may not be a focused priority unless you have a huge uh, rack of people saying we need to uh, have rules around this issue. Okay to wrap things up I'm going to give each of you a magic wand where you can unilaterally create one policy prescription regulation related to data and privacy. If there was one specific feature that you would want to be implemented, what would it be? One specific feature. I mean, I think this specific feature is still pretty broad for me, but I would want a fairly strong regulator 
And uh, I think the reason for that is goes back to what you talked about, Chris, which is that I don't want to be inundated with questions about what I'm accepting and not accepting because I don't have the expertise or sort of the professional aptitude to like deal with all those intricacies of those data policies. So for me, yeah, a strong regulator. Yeah, and I would agree with that 100%, like an independent body or oversight body. Something else that I think would be useful, I think is a requirement in the GDPR, is to be able to reach out sort of in like a Freedom of Information Act kind of way, be able to contact these companies in an efficient way to be able to get my data and find out what they're doing with it, what they're collecting, how are they using it, those sorts of things. Um, I think there has to be some sort of mechanism where people feel like they have the ability to find out what's going on if the government and the and the company is not being transparent, like I should be able to take the initiative and find out myself in a way that doesn't take a month for them to tell me, but is quick and efficient. Yeah, I would I would agree with that, and I think that would also it could also boost people's sense of ownership over their data, which I think could go a long way toward rebuilding some level of trust. I think on my end, I think for any kind of policy issue or any kind of law or regulation that comes out with related to data privacy, I think they should be a sunset provision that allows for lawmakers to review mm-hmm. certain type of privacy provisions, and but then also consult the public and stakeholders to better understand exactly the type of impact it's having on communities, but then also to review it on an ongoing basis, have more like a five-year sunset clause uh, on existing privacy rules. I think for me, top of mind would be the right to be forgotten in the sense Mm -hmm. that I don't want to need to be able to, I I just want at a click of a button to have all of my data erased in a particular company. If I'm no longer using their service, I should be allowed to just remove myself from their system. Yeah, that's great. Perfect. Then I think on that point, we'll wrap this one up.